if you would, and let's go one last time to Matthew chapter 6. One last time, I um, know that we have been on this passage uh, quite a bit. We've spent three weeks uh, just on these verses, verses 25 through uh, 34. And uh, yet, I just felt like we needed one more night to kind of summarize some things, uh, put things together here. Matthew chapter 6. And I want us to start in verse 25 and read the whole way through. It says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin yet. And yet, I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven... Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, as we read through this passage, Matthew 6.33 is one of the most familiar verses in the New Testament, I would think. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, there's... A little rule, it's just in life, it's not necessarily in the Bible, but it's just one of those little truisms. It's familiarity breeds contempt. The closer and the more we're familiar with something, the more we have confidence that we really have a hold on this thing. And it's so easy to read down through here and get to Matthew 6.33 and just skip right into chapter 7. And, of course, chapter 7, I believe, is one of the most perverted verses in all the New Testament. But we're not going to take time to start the new subject in the new chapter tonight. Uh, Judge not that ye be not judged. Uh, I'll tell you, I get a little weary hearing that verse taken out of context, just let stand alone all by itself, and said, you're being judgmental. Well, put it in the context of the passages. When Jesus spoke these words as a sermon, he did not say, end of chapter 6, beginning chapter 7. It was a continual speech. The reason the verses and the chapters have been put in there 
You'd have a hard time finding something if you didn't have them. They're not inspired. They're tools to help us keep our place and find where we are as we search through our Bible. I'll tell you, the Bible would be an unwieldy document for our little minds if it didn't have the verses and the chapters, but don't allow those markings in there to interrupt the thoughts. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Judge not, lest ye be judged. You see... And we'll just touch on this so you know what direction we're headed in. People who are not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness are worried about the things that might happen tomorrow. And as soon as you get certain things in line and you think tomorrow is taken care of, what is going to be your first opportunity? I got it all taken care of, but you don't. So I'm going to straighten you out. And that's where Jesus is going with this thing. Listen, you don't have it all together. I don't care who you are. I don't care how thoroughly planned your daytimer or your weekly planner or your iCal or whatever it is, what program you use, I don't care how carefully you have it filled out. It's not going to work the way that you filled it out. Now, isn't that true? I mean, how many of you have sat down? I like to work with a to-do list. And I'll sit there and I'll put my to-dos down. And I'll hit a little button on my phone and another one on the computer. And it's supposed to make both lists exactly the same. Doesn't always work that way. But no matter how carefully you put it all together, somehow those to-dos don't get to-do'd or whatever they're supposed to have happen. And they carry on. And I have the longest category, overdue task. It, it just puts them in there. i got to figure a way to fix that thing. Uh, because they're not really overdue. They're just undone, right? I mean, that's the way we struggle through life. Now, four times in these verses that we read, up to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, four times... In four different verses, in one different verse, we're actually told four different times to take no thought for different things. Now, some of you have heard Peter got me a new program, new Bible program. It's supposed to be the best that ever was. And I was reading through one of those new commentaries, and uh, in there it said, the King James Bible has it wrong. Jesus does not mean not to think about tomorrow. Now, wait a minute. It says, take 
no thought. Now, just so I understood what the Bible said, I looked it up in the English dictionary, the word thought. Found some interesting definitions. In the Oxford English Dictionary, it takes a little over three full pages to give you the history and the definition of the word thought. Uh, And I mean, they're big pages. But the simplest and the primary definition of the word thought is the state of mental activity that is natural to human beings. It's what makes us different than the animals. We think about things. We think about things, and as we think about things, what happens? Our emotions get involved, do they not? Our feelings are brought into play. Sometimes other people's feelings are brought into play. As we think about things, sometimes we want to know what other people think about our thinking. And so we call up our friends and we say, I'm thinking about this in this kind of direction. What do you think about what I'm thinking? And they'll say, wow, that's interesting. Let's talk about this. And you'll begin to converse and... All of a sudden, you're going to find out a great deal of effort has been expended. Absolutely nothing's been done. Have you ever met somebody that thought so much about what they were doing that they never accomplished anything that they thought about? Now, if you've found yourself in that category, as I have on occasion, all of a sudden you wake up and you say, Wait a minute, this is dumb. i got to get something done. I knew a guy. He was hilarious. He would start in the morning by making his to-do list. And then he would make a list of all the things that needed to be done for each one of the things on his to-do list. And then he would go through and categorize the to-do list that he had put up so he could accomplish his to-do list. And then he went through that and made sure that every step was in line. By this time, it was about noon. Time to eat lunch. And then he would go out and review his to-do list. And the person that was working with him and he was working for would come to him and say, What have you gotten done today? He says, I got my list. And he said, we've got to do something about these lists. Because they're not helping you, they're hurting you. Now, certainly, we need to think about things. God gave us a mind. We're not God. We, we don't always know what's best. But here's the difference. Here's what Jesus means when he says, take no thought... If we're not careful, we will find our life being driven, being motivated, being directed by how and what we think about things. Now, how many of you out here today would be honest enough to say, I have a problem with reality perception? I don't always understand what's going on around me. My hand is up. Okay, it's okay to be honest. 
you're not, uh, we're not going to take you in for psychiatric testing after the service. We don't believe in that around here. Uh, what we want to do is we want to wake up, get everyone to just stop and think, because every human being has problems with reality perception. Because we do not know what's going on in the hearts and minds of everyone around us. And so, as we look at what is happening around us, we have to make a choice between how we are going to grasp this reality and what we're going to do with it in allowing and changing allowing it to influence and allowing it to change the decisions that we have to make every day. Now, that sounds really complicated. And you know what? It is. It's so complicated, in fact, that Jesus has warned us four different verses in one of those four verses four different times by saying, listen, I do not want your life to be governed by your thought process and by your perception of reality. How many thought you had to have something only to get it to find out you didn't need it? Okay, everybody's hand ought to go up. I mean, this is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus means when He says, take no thought. There are some people that spend their whole life Shopping. They've just got to get something. And now, I'm not trying to make fun of ladies. Be patient with me tonight. But it's just the illustration that comes to mind is that will be perfect with and take it home. Oh, it really doesn't match the rest of these things. Well, I'll save it and I'll find something else that will match. I see some heads going up. I'm hitting home, ain't I? I mean, this is just the way it works. I, I have several ladies in the home. I know how these things happen. As, as we, and guys, here's what we do. Uh, if, if you're into fixing things and working, this tool is going to get the job done. Then we get that tool. And you say, oh, but it won't work without this tool. But then I need a box to carry them all around. And we spend our whole life collecting things. I talked to my aunt. Some of you might remember when my Aunt Lucy visited a little while back. And they're moving to uh, Tennessee. And she says, yeah, we're moving. She said, I couldn't comprehend how many things I've had. She said, I told my husband how... How in the world did we get so many things? She said, I guess it's my fault. I went out and brought, bought them and brought them home. I mean, they're here. And you never know how much stuff you have until you have to move it all. And we always say, wow, I just have too many things. This is what Jesus means by taking thought. Do I really have to have six-month food supply in my pantry? There are people that do that. 
do, do I really have to have? Early spring, late spring, mid spring, uh, in between early and late mid spring outfits to fit every occasion. Uh, do I really need to imitate Emil de Marcos and have 400 pairs of shoes just so that I have the right ones? These are the things that Jesus is talking about when he says, take no thought. Because let me tell you something, if you have all of these things, what do you have to do with them? You have to take care of them. You have to watch out for them. You have to provide for them. You can't just take a hundred pairs of shoes and throw them haphazardly in the closet. If you do that, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to find the mate. Uh, I mean, you've got to take care of these things. You can't take a bunch of tools and just throw them in a drawer, can you, Stephen? He, he has done that on occasion and has reaped the rewards. Well, I've reaped the rewards. The tool's at the bottom of the drawer and it's all rusty and it's ruined and it's no good anymore. You have to take care of things. Now, Jesus is trying to help us Understand something. In the context, the verses before we start this passage, you have a choice. You have a choice where you're going to put your treasure because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You have to decide what is going to be your light. And by the way, you can choose darkness and call it light. And God will let you get away with it till Judgment Day. But it says, if the light, to be in, the light that is in me be darkness, how great is that darkness? God will allow you to deceive yourself if you so desire and so choose. And then He sums it up by saying, no man can serve two masters. And as we choose between these masters, as we choose what our light is going to be, and as we choose where we're going to put our heart, Jesus is telling us, listen, I don't want your heart to be wrapped up in the Macy's advertisement that comes in the mail. I don't want your soul to be captivated by the next catalog that comes in and you fill in the catalog that you like. I... Jesus is saying, I want your soul to be consumed with seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is what your life is to be about. It's seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, first means first. That means before anything else. That means you must accomplish this before you move on to what is second. And I want to challenge you that it will take every day as long as you live to seek first the kingdom of God. And But Jesus doesn't end right there. He said, and 
His righteousness. Now, so often we find ourselves in a position where we have to make a choice in our life, and we're trying to figure out, well, i got to choose between right and wrong. I have to choose right. Okay, now we move to the next category. I've chosen right. But oftentimes there are different choices when we come to right. What is okay? What is acceptable? What is a little better? What is a little better than a little better? I mean, we just keep incrementalizing. But we'd all agree, I think, tonight that God knows what is absolutely best for our lives. And I think many times, if we were honest, we'd say, boy, I I think I fall short of that last category, what's absolutely best for my life. I, I think I'm way down here somewhere between right and wrong. I think I'm on the right side most of the time, but I I never quite get up there to what is absolutely best for my life. Here's how you get to that category. And His righteousness. If I am seeking the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I'm going to find out what is absolutely best in my life. I will tell you this with no uncertainty, and and we could spend the night talking about the miracles that God has done in the history of our little church here. We have never done without what we needed to serve God. When we needed money to buy the building, it was always there. It wasn't always there when it was comfortable, but it was there. It was there before anything could happen. How many of you remember back when we were only $150,000 short on our mortgage payment? That was not fun. But there was 90 days built into the contract from November 1st to February 1st. And the check cleared before February 1st. It was one check, $150,000. God knows how to make things up. He knows how to supply those needs. They've always been there. Now, I'll tell you, I remember back then very carefully, uh, the lock on the office door works both ways. It can keep you inside just as well as it can keep you from getting inside. Uh, you can... You can get into a lot of trouble when you try to help God get something done. You keep seeking His kingdom and His righteousness, and He'll take care of what you need. But here's the way most of us live life. We give mental assent to seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness... But then, we spend our life trying to figure out how God's going to give us those things. I want to challenge you tonight, and the reason why we, I wanted to spend our evening here just summarizing these verses is because too often we spend our lives thinking we're doing what God says and not getting it done. This verse says, take no thought for the morrow. 
I like the way my father-in-law puts it. He says, I'm never going to finish my cabin. He said, too many guys I know build a log cabin to retire in. They get it built, they move into it, they retire, and they drop dead of a heart attack. He said, so I'm not finishing it. He says, I'm just going to keep working at it for the next 20 years. And when I get about 90 or 95, he said, then the Lord will just take me home and you can finish it. I said, no thanks, Dad. I live in New York City, but we'll, we'll do what we can. But he's illustrating this point. How many people have spent their whole life preparing for one thing? I mean, my heart goes out to these people that lost everything in this last economic downturn. But how many people, that's where their treasure was. That's what their whole life was about. That's what everything for them was. I've got this. I've got enough to retire on. I'm going to be able to finally take it easy and enjoy my life. I have spent my entire life to prepare for this. All gone. I mean, gone, gone. Never coming back, gone. Everything has been lost. All of that thought, all of that effort, all of that suffering, all of that planning is gone. And the main reason is the government of the United States made some bad decisions, and it's gone. That's a tragedy. We can talk about the rightness and the wrongness of that and the people who are suffering needlessly because of the decisions and the greed of others. But let, let me tell you something. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you've lived your life for that thing that's going to happen tomorrow, you can lose it this quick. It's gone. If you're seeking His kingdom and His righteousness, I, I want to challenge you today. You shouldn't have time to sit and plan and live your life for what might happen tomorrow. I, I learned very early in the ministry, I, I waited and I said, Lord, one of these days, I, I'm going to be a great preacher. One of these days, I, I'm going to really serve you. And the Lord said, I'm not interested in one of these days. I want the little bit that you do have today. How many of you know um, Dave Ramsey, talk show host, talks about money and stuff? And I remember years back, we, Brother Ted and Franz and I, I said, let's just go and see what the man has to say. And we came out and we started discussing those things. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was really good stuff. But here's the problem. It was all preparing for tomorrow. God's not interested in tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. It must become today before it gets here. You say, 
Should I have no financial planning? Should I have no... No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what drives your soul. What is your life about? Is it about preparing for tomorrow? Or is it about seeking the kingdom of God today? This is where we are. Anybody can live in tomorrow. It's easy to live in Tomorrowland. Because it takes a lot of pressure off of today. You see, I can sacrifice the little victory that I'm fighting for today because I'm going to have a big one tomorrow. Well, here's the problem. When I lose today spiritually, I am planning and I have made preparation to fail tomorrow when it gets here today. This is what I mean by there are no little things in God's planning. Every day is the battle at hand. I put this question down. This is succinctly and carefully as I can do it. Uh, I'm sure there are better ways of doing it. But the simple thing is, was today the result of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness or the result of my seeking food and raiment and life. If I look at what transpired in my life today, was it the result of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness or was it the result of just trying to get through another day so that I can live tomorrow. Most of us as Christians never get past the daily slog of trying to just get through today so we can start tomorrow. And we get depressed. And I'll tell you what, you ought to be. Because that's depressing stuff. We get worn out, we get weary... That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, Be not weary in well-doing, for ye shall reap in due season. What's the rest of that? If ye what? Faint not. My kids thought I needed a little help. This year has been a tough year with all the renovations and all the work, so they they got me a CD uh, that says, one of the songs on there is, Help is on the way. And they said, Daddy, I think you'll love this song. And, and it's got a really great set of words. It said, Help won't help tomorrow if you give up today. You see, God will help us in His time. God's promise of provision is there. God will always give us what we need to serve Him. That's what the promise is. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. My effort, my life, my, my mental capacity is to be used up thinking how I can seek first the kingdom of God. How I can seek first His righteousness. By the way, if you remember back when we went through the armor of God, righteousness 
is the covering of our heart. By the way, where does that righteousness come from? It's His righteousness. It's not mine. No matter how hard I try to be righteous, what do I do? I still sin in the process because I'm a sinful human being. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that protects my heart. But why do we take off that breastplate of righteousness? Because it's heavy. It changes the way we think and the way we can look at life. It changes everything because it wasn't made to fit us. It was made to conform us to the image of Christ. It's a constraining garment that we wear. It, It changes everything about us. And that hurts sometimes. And so we want to relax just a little bit. Yesterday, or Tuesday, we were up in uh, Chittenango, New York, just a little east of Syracuse, was one of our Baptist church planners' meetings. And uh, we were helping a man there, Ashton Nelson, who started a church just about a year or so ago. And uh, we were out knocking on doors and met a lady out mowing her lawn. And another pastor there, um, he just took an old struggling work. It was down to two people up near Watertown, New York. And and, uh, praise the Lord, we had a little bit in our missions budget, and so we gave him some support to encourage him. His name is Jack Young. His dad has pastored. He has helped in his dad's church. And when he found out about this, church. It was just about to close. He prayed and said, I think God wants me to go and, and rescue this work. And that's what he's doing. And we got a part in that. And I, I praise the Lord that we could do it. But we met this lady and she took one look at us and she said, I know who you guys are. She said, you're them old fashioned strict. She said, why do you have a long sleeve shirt on? said, it's summer. Relax a little. I said, I didn't want to tell her. I tried that short sleeve thing, and I still got sunburn marks. <laughs> it's, I'm going to just, I'm going to be comfortable. Well, listen, she was all wound up. She said, you got to get past that old-fashioned stuff. I said, you know, here's the difference. Jesus didn't say, wide is the gate that leads unto life and many be that go in thereat. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. We're not to conform the Bible to our thoughts and our image. We are to ask God to conform us to his thoughts and his image. You see, we're not smart enough to understand what goes on around us. We do not know what the future holds. We have no idea whether that person that is talking to us is lying through their teeth and plotting to hurt us or that they want to be our friend and really help us. We do not know these things. And we can't know these things. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad I can't know these things. I'm glad that I can walk down the street 
and just give a gospel tract to anybody, would you come to church? I mean, who knows? Maybe it's Jeffrey Dahmer's look-alike. I don't know. I don't even know what he looks like. But they tell us people like this walk up and down the streets all the time. I'll tell you what. I'd love to give them a gospel tract and get them saved before they go do all those wicked things. Amen? You have no idea what's going on in people's hearts and minds. I think I've told this story before. We had a guy, and he was up here, and he says, Oh, I grew up in New York City. And we were walking here in the store. He says, There's a prostitute over there. And he said, There's a drug dealer over there. We got walk. He said, that guy's carrying a, an illegal firearm. I see it in a sock. And I'm sitting here going, man alive. I ain't never seen any of those things. And at that time, I'd been here four or five years. I had no idea what was going on. And I said, boy, you, you're really observant. But it bothered me. Not that I couldn't see those things. Because I didn't want to see them. And there was a thought, and this, like I said, this is years and years ago. It just hit me, and I, I said, I want to just watch what this guy does with the ministry with all this knowledge that he has. You know, it wasn't long before he was out of the ministry and couldn't serve God anymore. You see, that's what it means, judge not lest you be judged. If you've got enough time to worry about what everybody else is doing, you're not spending the time that you should seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because you look into the mirror of this book called the Bible, and I'll tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see your sin and your shortcomings over and over and over again. But you see... That's not depressing because Jesus died on the cross to fix all those things. And so I keep seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. And I may fall into the mud puddle today, but the just man falleth seven times and riseth again. It's the wicked that fall into perdition. By God's grace, I'm getting up. Amen? By God's grace, I want to use today to seek that kingdom. Tomorrow, the things of tomorrow. What's, I love the way it's worded here. I want us to read this. Take therefore, because God's going to take care of today, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. How many times have you worried about something? And you thought about it and you said, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get through this thing. And you came right up and it's going to happen tomorrow. And tomorrow became today and nothing happened. You just walked right through it as if it weren't even there. Has anybody else had that happen in their life? You know why? Because the things of tomorrow took thought for themselves. Somebody went through... And they said 98 point something percent of the things that we worry about never happen. This is, I mean, I'm angry at that commentator that says, certainly Jesus doesn't mean we shouldn't think about today. I mean, how stupid can stupid be? That's not what he's talking about. 
He's talking about letting my entire life be run by what might happen tomorrow, the 98% chance it ain't going to happen. And by the way, the other 2%, you couldn't change it whether you worried about it or not. Just stop and think about all these things that people lost. They can't get it back. You can't change it. I can't change it. It it works out, and I didn't give you the right math, but it, it works out to like one out of every thousand things you worry about. You might actually make the difference by giving some thought to it. I want to challenge you, it's not worth the chance. Because the Bible tells me that if I worry about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that God's going to take care of 100%. Amen? I mean, this is what these verses talk about. If I spend my time worrying and plotting and planning and conniving and hoping and changing my life today because of something that might happen tomorrow... I'm not serving the right master. Got to get that. I am not understanding reality under the right light. If my life is driven by what I need to accomplish so that I can put food in my mouth and clothes on uh, on my back and on my family, if that is what my life is about, my heart is not in the right place. Somebody did a thing and they said, a child that was born last year, Joseph was born last year, is going to cost his parents 220 some thousand dollars to raise him. I didn't know I was that rich. Where in the world's that money coming from? I can promise you it's not going to take 220 thousand dollars to raise Joseph. It hasn't taken that much to get the other nine to where they are, 11, 10 to where they are. I mean, it just, I I look and I, I sit here and I scratch my head and I say, where do people come up with these things? You know where they come up with these things? They're taking thought for tomorrow. My wife and I prayed almost 20, well, over 21 years ago. It was before we were married. I said, Lord, we want the children that you want us to have, and we're going to trust you to provide for them. And he always has. It's terrifying, but he always has. You say, well, where does it all come from? Oh, lots of different places. We'll just take it a day at a time, because my heart's not in tomorrow. I want to live today. If you have the right master, you're not the slave of tomorrow. You're getting something accomplished today. If your heart is in the right place, 
not even Nancy Pelosi can take it away. You're allowed to smile on that. Scary. But they want to take it away. Because they think they know more what to do with it than what you do. But you know something? If your treasure's in heaven, not even the IRS can sue God. Amen. I'm sure there's somebody over there trying to figure out how to do it. And our mayor's trying to figure out how to tax churches. They send us a bill every year. This is what your property tax would be if you were taxable. Do you know what taxes on this building is? Just this little property, 82 feet wide? $44,000 a year. And that's because they only value this property for taxation at $350,000. Dear friend, this building's worth a sight more than $350,000. The full taxes on this building would be more than our general offerings in a year. Say, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm taking no thought for the morrow. As long as we're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God's going to keep our doors open. Amen? And if He chooses to take the doors away, we'll do what we did before we had doors. We'll just meet on the street. We'll meet in, uh, we'll meet in your living room. No, we won't do that. Uh, we'll find a way to be obedient to God. And to seek his righteousness first. Amen? But I'm not going to spend my time planning on contingency plans. Because I'll tell you what, they won't work when we get there. Let's serve God with every bit of energy we have until he's ready. And when he changes things, guess what? We'll be ready to change right along with him. Because our heart will be in the right place. Our treasure will be in the right place. Our understanding of reality will have the right light. We'll see what's going on and we'll understand it. And we'll be serving the right master. That's what these verses are talking about. And by the way, when you're doing these things, just one bit of review we said we're going to summarize tonight. When you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the first understanding that you're going to have, I'm poor in spirit. What's the second understanding you're going to have? You're going to mourn over your failures and over your sins. But then, what's going to happen next? Go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll just work our way right down through. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think there's a connection between seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and the poor in spirit inheriting the kingdom of heaven? I promise you there's a connection there. Let's keep going. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Then we become meek. 
And remember, meek is not weak. Meek is trusting in the authority and the direction of another. When we send out a squadron of A-10 attack planes to destroy an enemy target, they are being meek because they're operating under the direction and under the authority of those that have sent them to do their duty. When we're meek, we're not operating under our authority or in our ability. We're operating under God's. Do you think that will help you seek His righteousness first and His kingdom more? I promise you, the more meekness in your body, the more you'll be able to fulfill that verse. And then, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Your basic desires of your body. Why did Jesus tell us, take no thought for what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to put on? Because He does not want us hungering and thirsting after the things we can hold in our hands. He wants us hungering and thirsting for His righteousness so He can fill us. Because once He fills us with His righteousness, then we can be merciful. And by the way, you can't be merciful until you've won the battle. You feel beat down and controlled by the world. You can't be merciful. You've got to beat them first. Mercy comes from the victor to the vanquished. But you can't have victory until you've hungered and thirsted after righteousness and been filled by what only God can give. Then, I love this next one. Pure in heart. If I were to ask you how many would like your heart to be just absolutely pure, I, I think every hand would go up. I would hope and pray that it would. Why are our hearts not pure? Because we're taking thought for the things of tomorrow. We're trying to figure out what we're going to eat. We're trying to figure out how we're going to survive. We're trying to figure out what's going to happen and who's going to take what away. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, guess what? You can't show mercy until you are in control of the situation. Then your heart can be pure because you're no longer having to worry about what someone's going to do to you. You're trying to help others to Jesus Christ. And that makes you a peacemaker, a soul winner, one that reconciles others to God. The greatest accomplishment you can have in your life is to take another soul by the hand and bring them and put their hand in the hand of he, him who died on the cross. Amen? And those that refuse to get saved are going to persecute you. But don't worry about it because he promises the blessings to those who are persecuted for his sake. Not for your sake. Not for what you've done wrong. But for what He has done right. Amen? When these things happen, you can't help but be the salt and the light in this world in which we live. This is the Sermon on the Mount. God doesn't want you trying to be salt. He doesn't want you... This little light of mine, I'm going to, I like that song, but it's not very biblical. 
Your light will shine as God's beatitudes work in your life. But here's what you've got to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then He's going to add these things to you. You won't have time to take thought for the things of tomorrow. That doesn't mean that you don't look in your wardrobe and find something that matches before you come to church. That's not what it's talking about. That doesn't mean that you just go into the cupboard and whatever happens to fall out first, well, that's dinner. That's not what it's talking about. Even the world knows you can save and you can get by on less if you take a little thought to what you're doing with what you had. But if your life is driven by those things, you never get past it to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I eat so I can live and serve God. Amen? I work so I can live and serve God. I put up with what certain things that are difficult to put up with in life so that I can keep serving Him and seeking His kingdom first. Because I'm not done with these Beatitudes yet, and I hope they're not done with me. I want to, I want to be the salt and the light that God wants me to be. But I've got to let Him change me from the inside out. And that's what God wants to do. Now we're moving into chapter 7. We're moving from my relationship between me and God and my direction between me and God to how that relationship that I have between me and God affects others. And we're almost done. Not more than another 20 lessons in chapter 7, I don't think. Uh, we'll take our time. We'll work through because we want to get the things that God has for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask that you would bring these things into our hearts and our lives, that these truths would not be just something that we give mental assent, but, Lord, that they would be the motivating force of our life. We ask that you will do the work in our heart and in our life that we may truly seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that your, uh, what we call the Beatitudes, that the things that you want to work in us will, so that we can be the servants that you would have us to be. Let us be reminded that it's your righteousness, that it's your glory we seek. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll just keep our heads back.